Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Activate Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Activate. Hey, we started a new series last week. It's called You Asked For It. And uh, again, if you are new, you have no idea what I'm talking about. We do this series uh, normally once a year. And what we do is we put cards on the seats. Over a couple of months, we have the opportunity, give you guys the opportunity to fill in uh, those cards and write down anything that you want to hear preached. So you get to tell me what I'm going to speak on. So because there's so many different cards that come back, we try to put those cards into a category. Here's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to preach one message. I'm not going to answer each individual question, but what I'm going to try to do is group as many of those questions together and preach one message that's going to answer all of those questions, okay? Questions like, why did Jesus have to die? Um, you know, where is Jesus in the Old Testament? Uh, an important question, how do I actually share the message of Jesus with people that need to hear it? How do I share that message with my friends? So I'm going to preach a message tonight. And if you like titles, I'm calling this Tell It Like It Is. Tell It Like It Is. And if you get what I'm talking about tonight... I'm not kidding about this next part. This is the kind of thing that changes the planet. And it's not because the message is amazing. It's because if you get what I'm saying tonight, this is the kind of message that changes the planet, if you can get it. So let me start at the beginning. I'm going to start with a scripture, a really well-known scripture, John 3.16, and one of my favorites. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And if you understand what that, that um, scripture is about, if you're new, you won't. But if you understand what it's about, it's a reference to the fact that God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for people's sins. And if you have been in church for a long time, would you agree with me tonight? Just a little bit of feedback. Would you agree that that is an overwhelmingly positive message? Yes. Yeah? Okay, cool. If you're not a Christian, that sounds so weird. Because we talk about how loving God is, but can I just break you out of your Christian bubble for just a little minute? Is that all right? Because if, you're, if you are not a Christian and you come to church and we say, hey, here's a dad who killed his son. He wants to be your friend. How do you feel about that? And you say to yourself, well, that doesn't sound like the kind of God I'd like to know. And so kind of what we have to do is answer the question, what kind of father would kill his son? Because that's a question that somebody asked me once. What kind of father would kill his son? And I think that it's a really good question. It's a great question. If you're a Christian for a long time, you haven't thought about it. But if you're not a Christian, what a great question. And so I want to explain a little bit about that. When I grew up, I understood everything because it was taught to me from a young age. So it never really seemed odd to me. But again, if you're new to this, it does. And I want to take a minute, just a minute to talk to you about something tonight that, that we call sin. And the reason I want to talk about that is if you miss this next explanation of what sin is, then you're going to miss a lot of what I speak about tonight. So if you're new to church or, or not a Christian, you're going to think that maybe sin is just when you do something that's bad, okay? And who knows what that could be? Maybe that could be a lot of things, but a sin is like some kind of moral failure. You were looking at something you shouldn't have looked at. You, whatever it was, you did something that you were not supposed to do. But in actual fact, the Bible says that sin is not just when you do something wrong. It means that you, you miss the mark in terms of your design and intention. Let me put it to you another way. 
if you were, here you are, uh, living your life, coloring inside the lines, and then you make a mistake and you go outside the lines and you, you, you made a mistake. Well, that mistake, when you went outside, we call that error. And the Bible just calls error sin. And I've heard it explained this way, that if you were to take a bow and arrow and you were to aim, it at a, at a, aim, the, aim the arrow at a bullseye and you let it go and you just missed the bullseye, then that's what we call error. And so to miss the mark in terms of your design and intention, that's just sin. You need to understand that God's created you for a purpose. And when you are not meeting his standards and and doing what God's called and asked you to do, then in that case, the Bible calls that sin. And that is super important for tonight. So for those of you that wouldn't be aware, and maybe you are, let's just refresh for a minute. Sin came into the world when two people, the first two people that were created on planet Earth, we call them Adam and Eve, they colored outside the lines. They missed the mark in terms of their design and intention. God gave them a mandate that they were supposed to follow. But instead of doing that, they did the one wrong thing that they were supposed to avoid doing, which was to eat fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so as a result of that, there was a penalty to be paid. Now, this next part is very serious. God said the penalty for for not obeying him is death. Okay, that's pretty severe, isn't it? He says the penalty for sin is death. In fact, you can find this at multiple places in the Bible. So the moment that they took the fruit and they ate the fruit, let me just asterisk this for a minute. It's not about the fruit, okay? Because I'll admit to you that eating a piece of fruit, dying for that is pretty serious, pretty severe, but it's never about the fruit. In fact, what it is about is turning your back on God. I'm going my own way. I don't want to listen to you. I want to do life independently. I can make up my own mind about this. I'm going to follow my own rules. I'm going to carve my own path. This independent sort of spirit that gets inside of people as it did Eve that day. And she turned her back on God. And the Bible says that there's a penalty for that. Okay, so the penalty is death. So now God comes down to find Adam and Eve and they were hiding in the garden. This is how you know sin makes you stupid because, um, you know, hide from God. Go on, try. Um, So they're hiding from God and uh, the Bible says that they realized that they were naked. Now, when you read nakedness in the Bible, it often represents shame. So they were naked beforehand, but they didn't realize it or recognize it. And the moment they took the fruit, they suddenly realized that they were naked. And the first thing that they tried to do is cover their shame. This is what people still do today. They try to cover their sin. And how did they do it? Well, they, they made uh, you know, jocks and undies and bra and stuff out of fig leaves. Well done, everybody. Like, you know, good, good to them. So, so, so they made these, uh, these clothes out of fig leaves. God comes down, sees it, and he says, this is not going to uh, cut it. So he brings them animal skins, and he decides to put that on them. Now, what I love about this story is that really it's this beautiful picture of God covering the shame of two people that have made a decision to walk away from him. But let's just take that a little bit further and realize, where did God get the animal skins from? It's from an animal, everybody. Just so you know, he got the skins from an animal. This is not a trick question. This is not really difficult. That's where he got it. And how did he get it off the animal? Well, he killed it. 
And so I hope that nobody's here from the RSPCA tonight because I'm going to tell you something, a little home truth. You are made in the image of God, but animals are not. So God cares less about animals than he does about people. I don't know if Rover is going to make it to heaven. I'm not going to answer that question tonight. But, but I'll tell you this. He cares more about people than he does about animals. And so what did God do? He took the life of an animal as a substitution for the life of uh, of Adam and Eve, which was the penalty that they had to pay. Now, if you think that that sounds really severe, that teaches me something about you. And hold on to your hats for a minute. It teaches me that you don't think very much of sin. Because if sin to you is just a small thing, not a big deal, like who cares? It's, it's only a mistake. It's only an error. Then that teaches me that you, you probably don't understand the weightiness, the significance, the destruction that sin can bring, not only into your life, but into the lives of people all around you. And if you make little of sin, I promise you it's worse than you imagined because it, just, it doesn't just bring separation between you and God on planet Earth, but if you don't deal with your sin while you're on planet Earth— then you become eternally separated from God. So I want to be really clear, because we don't hear this really often in church. We don't talk about this a lot. But after you die, there are two places you can go. One is heaven. That means you eternally dwell with him. One is hell. That means you eternally dwell apart from him. And I remember somebody said to me once, well, I just couldn't believe in a mean God or a God that would send people to hell. And when I hear that, do you know what I think? I agree. Oh my gosh, yes, I agree. I, how, I, I don't believe in a God that sends people to hell. No, no, I don't believe in that at all. See, the God that I know, the God that I worship, my God, he never sends anyone to hell. They send themselves there. The God that I worship has done everything possible to make it so that people would never have to go there he, made, he did everything imaginable so that no one would ever have to go. He made it so easy. Really, it's a confession that you make with your mouth. We'll talk about that later. But he's done everything that he can to make sure that people don't go there. Now, if you have sin, you have 99 problems. Because sin is easy, and when you do it, it traps you. It ensnares you. In fact, Jesus put it this way. He said, he who commits sin is himself a slave to sin. It's a bad problem that people have got. And once they've got it, it's like they cannot seem to break free of it. And here's a big news flash for everybody tonight. Everyone has sin. All people sin. All, all, everyone sins. Everyone's made this mistake. In fact, the Bible says it this way. It says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. For all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when people were trying to figure out a way to solve the issue called sin, they said, wow, why don't you tell us, God, what we shouldn't do and then we just won't do it. That makes sense. Because once you know that something is wrong, you could not do it. It actually didn't work that way. As soon as people found out there was something that they shouldn't do, it was the very thing they wanted to do. 
If, if, if I had a red button here and I said, don't push it, everyone wants to push it because I just told you not to. It's like, but what happens if we do? So, so people are intrigued by the thing that they're not supposed to do. So God was giving people rules. He gave them laws. And in fact, he gives uh, what we call the law to one man named Moses. It was 613 commandments that they had to follow. I reckon you should give them a prize just for memorizing half of it. I use my phone, I mean my, my card, like this, tap and go. In fact, I don't even do that. I have it in my watch here, so I just tap my watch when I'm paying for stuff. One day somebody asked me for my pin. I couldn't even remember it, right? They remembered 613 commandments that they had to write down and, and study. And all those commandments did is point out how miserable they were at following them. It was this constant reminder that they couldn't get it right. So sin came through a man named Adam. And then Adam, uh, uh, through him, it started to spread to all people. And because of that, the Bible says that death began to spread to all people as well. I want to read a scripture to you. And I want you to stay with me. I told everybody this morning that this message is like a mullet. Up front, it's all business, but we're going to party at the back end of this message, all right? So this is like my, this is my mullet message. So this is what it says in Romans chapter 5 and in verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. This is everything that we've just been speaking about. It says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but, now listen to this, sin is not counted where there is no law. So God is fair and gracious in the sense that he doesn't judge people when they do wrong things, but they don't understand that it's wrong. And some of you are sitting here and thinking, aha, then what about all the people that haven't heard the gospel? How will God deal with them? Well, if you just flick back one page in your Bible, and I'm in Romans chapter 5, you go back one page to Romans chapter 2 and you can start to read. The Bible says that people have a conscience that either accuses or excuses them. And the truth is, is that even from birth, everybody's conscience accuses them because one thing I've never taught my kids to do was to be greedy or selfish or, or, or you, know, um, you know, not treat their brothers or sisters right. And, and they just do it instinctively. And my point is, is that people do the wrong thing and violate their conscience even when they don't know it's officially something that God doesn't want them to do. And even if God judges them on that, everyone's going to fail anyway. You with me so far? All right. It says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were... Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. And this is this really interesting scripture I want you to see here who was a type of the one who is to come, or who was to come, who is a type of the one. I thought, type? That's, that's strange. When it says that Adam was a type of the one who is to come. And they're talking about one specific person that is coming that's kind of like Adam. This is what the, the theologians, people study the Bible, this is what they would call typology. And typology is when you see a prefigured stage that, that, that shows or is a shadow of something that's going to come later on down the track in the Bible. Let me give you an example of this. Sometimes people say that Moses is a type of Jesus in the sense that Moses came and he brought salvation to his people, freed them from slavery and led them out of it. And so in that sense, 
Jesus is like Moses because what did he do for people? He came, set people free, gave them salvation and led them out of the slavery of sin. And the Bible is full of these. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says that Adam was the first, there was, there was Adam, the first Adam that we've read about tonight. And then it says that Jesus is a second Adam. What does that mean? Well, Adam was the first type of human and through Adam sin and death began to spread. But then it points to this other one who is to come that we now know is Jesus. And he's a different, he's a different type of person entirely in the sense that he, wasn't, he didn't come just from earth. He, he's not made from the earth. In fact, he is divine in his nature and in his origin. And so as death began to spread through the first Adam, the second Adam being Jesus brought something that changed us completely. We don't have to be like the first Adam. We can now become more like the second Adam, which is Jesus, if we make a decision to follow him. Now, the Bible talks about there being shadows of the one that is to come and a type and this idea of typology. I want to read to you a scripture that comes out of Hebrews that talks about this very thing. So in Hebrews chapter 10, it says this in uh, chapter 10, verse 1. I'm going to read through to verse 4. It says, For since the law has but a shadow, again, this is a, a typology right here. It says the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, Make perfect those who draw near. If you're confused already by what I'm talking about, let me explain it to you. Even though they had the law, which was a shadow of something better that was to come, even though they understood what was wrong, knowing didn't help them. Knowing didn't help anyone. They had the law, but they had to keep making sacrifices because they could not get any better. So what is the sacrifice doing? The sacrifice is meeting the penalty for sin, which is death. The problem is it's not making people get any better. They're not becoming more uh, morally virtuous. They're not following God any closer. It just continues to point out the issue. In verse 2, it says, Otherwise, would they not have ceased to have been offered? the sacrifices, and of course that makes sense, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But these sacrifices, this is the sacrifices of the animals that God had been taking in place of people's death, taking, making sure that the penalty for death was paid but by an animal, the system of atonement, which is what they had there. It says these sacrifices, or in these sacrifices, there is the reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Jump down to verse 11. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Now, if you can follow what I'm talking about today, I'm saying that they found a way to pay the penalty for sin, but they never found a way to actually remove sin. And every year they would do the same sacrifice and the priest, there he is again, you know, day of atonement, just, just, you know, just carving up some bulls and goats and that. And none of you are from the RSPCA, are you? Okay, well, you take it up with God anyway. So, so here they are, they're just still killing animals because God cares about people more. And, and so the penalty keeps getting paid, but 
you know, no one's getting better. I can imagine the conversations. They're like, how long are we going to do this for? And the high priest would say something like, oh, just until we stop sinning. And they're like, has anybody ever been able to do that? And the answer was no. And this is where they became trapped, hopelessly trapped in a system that was not fixing the problem. And so how does God deal with it? I'll tell you how. He sends Jesus. He sends Jesus. This is the gospel message. For God so loved the world, and he saw them trapped and drowning in their own sins, so he decided to end that sacrificial system by sending his one and his only son, Jesus, who was the perfection that we could never be. And since he was perfect, he was able to be offered as a sacrifice on behalf of us. And now the Bible says that if you believe that when Jesus was sacrificed for the sins of all people, if you put your faith and your trust in that, then all of your sins will actually be removed. And then there's no more sacrifice that is necessary. In fact, let me read on from verse 11. It says this in verse 12. It says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected all time those who are being sanctified. The word sanctified means being set apart for holy purposes that God has for you. And he says that I can set apart people now for my holy purposes because what my son's sacrifice has done has begun to help people and, and restore them. In fact, let me, let me use the word, the, a theological word that I'm going to explain. It's called penal substitution. And, and, and the first part, penal meaning penalty, and I think you know what the word substitution means. So you put that together and what it means is that Christ was the substitution for the penalty that was supposed to be given to us. Yeah. Now, when he became our substitution for, as a sacrifice, the following things happened. One, in, in order for us to be set free from the power of sin, Christ had to die and give his life, thus paying the penalty for sins. That way, God is still just. Because if he ignores sin, you can't trust him. You don't want God to be the type of God that ignores sin. He has to deal with it, and this is the only way that he could. So one, Jesus had to be sacrificed, but then three things happen as a result. Number one, it says that he was our propitiation. And the word propitiation, it simply means a sacrifice that turns wrath into blessing. So let me explain it to you this way. Because we did not have the forgiveness of our sins, God is coming to punish sin. That's what we would call his wrath. When Jesus became our mediator and gave his life on the cross, he turned what was coming to us as wrath through the cross, it becomes blessing and favor onto our lives. See, let me explain something to you. If you think that the God that I worship is the type of God that wants to punish people, you should understand he's done everything to avoid it. And he even gave his own son's life so that what he could do, even though you still make mistakes, is to pour out favor and blessing into your life. Can I tell you this? The God that I worship wants to pour favor and blessing into you. The second thing that happened is he began to reconcile people back to himself. 
That is to say that he wanted to be in relationship with them. And the third thing is he began to redeem them. And redemption in the original Hebrew language means to restore something to its originally created purpose. He found a way to restore people, even though they couldn't be perfect, to pour out blessing into their life, to close the bridge of separation and to restore them so that they could fulfill the purpose for which he created them. This is the kind of God that I worship. This is the God that wants to know you. This is the God that's done absolutely everything to get to you. And if these things that I'm talking about tonight, they just seem like theological words, let me tell you something. I remember the day that God really got me. And I didn't understand any of these words. But I realized what he had done for me. I didn't know what the words meant. I would find that out in the years to come. But I understood how he felt about me. I understood that my God did everything to be in relationship with me because he loved me. I don't mind telling you that the first time I encountered that love, I just cried. Because I struggled to figure out why, after all the things that I had done, would he even want me? Why would he take me back after I intentionally, purposefully, willfully walked away from him? But this this is the kind of God that I serve, and I think that this is the part of the gospel that people that aren't Christians, they don't get this part. They don't understand it. They think that what God wants to do is punish people when he's done everything to get around it. This is why the gospel message is the most uplifting, encouraging, outrageously positive message that you should share. I remember years ago, a couple years ago, uh, my son had to go to a sleep school. Uh, He was having trouble sleeping at night, so we took him to Monash Medical Center. They hooked him up with wires all over his body, hooked him up to computers, and he had to go to sleep. And so, you know, he would go to sleep at whatever it was, 7 o'clock, and I'm not going to bed at 7 o'clock. So there was me and and about four other parents, and so they had four separate rooms. All of our kids were in the rooms, but there's a breakout room for the, the parents, so we could just sit out there and do work or chat, whatever we wanted to do until it was time for us to go sleep in our own kids' bedrooms. So here we are, and we're, and we're talking, and I'm chatting with this lady, and she's very upfront and forthright and confident, you know. And um, as we're talking, I said to her, hey, so what do you do for work? And she said to me, she said, oh, I work at a place called The Red Door. I was like, oh, okay, The Red Door. I said, to be honest, I've never heard of it. And she said to me, yeah, I took one look at you and figured you wouldn't know what it was. And I was like, okay, all right. I don't know if that's a compliment, but all right. I said, well, what's the red door? I've actually since been told it's also a church. But in this particular case, uh, she said to me, it's a brothel. And I said, oh, okay. Now, relationship building 101. This might help some people tonight. If you want to build a good relationship with people, you start to be interested in the things that they're interested in, right? But now I'm like, well, how interested should I appear in her work today? Like, I don't want to be too interested. So, so I said to her, I said, oh, okay. Uh, and I'm trying to come up with questions that are completely reasonable to ask. Oh, and is that, 
challenging work? Um, is it, uh, do you enjoy working there? I'm like, oh, come on, like you do any better. Like, what are you going to say to that, right? So here I am, and I'm, I'm asking questions about it. And to be honest, she, she began to really open up and say it wasn't really the job that she wanted, but it's the job that she's got. She's talking about being a single mom. And we had a great conversation about her work. We're chatting for so long, she forgot all about asking me what I do. So then she says, after this deep conversation about her job, she says, so tell me, what do you do? I said, oh, um, I'm a pastor of a church. And she went, no. And I said, what? She said, I wish I had have asked you what you did before I told you what I did. I said, why would you worry about that? She says, oh, you know, because you're like this and I'm like this. And I said, really? I said, can I tell you something? I said, you and I got a lot more in common than you think. Because the Bible says that we all make mistakes. And what, we're, we're both hopelessly drowning and I'm going to judge you because I'm a slightly better swimmer? I'm, I'm going to die just like you are. I said, listen, I, I, just from me to you, I said, I'm, I'm not going to judge you on what you do. We, we all have things in our life that we wish weren't there. I've made mistakes, but can I tell you something about my God? He's the kind of God that despite what you do, he still wants to know you. He still loves you. In fact, he's done everything that he could so that he could get to know you. And she said, really? I said, oh, yeah. I said, listen, I, I told her all about uh, what a relationship with God is like. And she was moved by it. I said, you know what you should do? You should come to our church. You would fit in so well at our church. I tell everybody that. I said, you would fit in so well at our church. She said, really? I said, yeah, because it activate. Everyone understands that we've all got issues, we've all got problems. The people that I do church with, that I do life with, they're not going to have an issue with your job. You should just come along and check it out. And the truth is, is that I, 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 she never came, you know, and I, I never saw her. But it's amazing to me how quickly people are willing to disqualify themselves from what God wants to do in their life. It's amazing to me that God wants to bless her and she thinks that she's got sin and it's a big problem and God would never want her. He's given everything so that that wouldn't be a problem. The reason why stories like that resonate with me is because that's my story too. I've been that person. I've been the person that felt like God was far from me and why would he want to know me? And when I recognize what God has done, do you know what I honestly think? I think who wouldn't want this? Seriously, what person wouldn't want what I'm talking about tonight? Who, who would avoid this? I realize something about people that everyone wants to be saved, but not everyone realizes they need to be. Only a certain type of person will ask for help. The person that realizes they need it. You know, um, if you were to find somebody stranded on a desert island, I, I, I bet you that they did everything that they could to find help. They're making help signs out of palm leaves and laying them all across the beach in, in giant letters. They have a, a, a fire that's ready to go. And so if a passing ship went by, they could set fire to it and the smoke would go up and send a signal that they were trapped and, and so forth. And, and you, know, you know the kind of people that do that? People that realize they need help. So the only kind of people that will do that 
or, or ask to be found or ask to be helped as people that realize that they're lost and they, and they need it. And so how, how do you get to that place where you start to explain to somebody that they need help? Because so if you don't explain this stuff right, people will say, why do I even need help? What, what do I need to be saved from? So what you need to do is tell people like it is. And you know what that means? It means you be honest, not mean. Telling people like it is means that you're just honest about what the real issues are. I remember I led a guy to Jesus once. He came to church and uh, uh, one week had passed. I said, how was your week? He said, it was great. I said, what did you do? He said, "Um, I told all my friends they're going to hell. And I said, and how did that go for you, you know? He said, yeah, they weren't happy with it, you know? Like, and I thought, well, you might want to learn something called tact, you know? Like, all he did is focus on the punishment. He didn't speak about the grace. He told them everything that they had wrong. He didn't tell them anything that they had in their lives that was right. Listen, you've got to understand something. The moment that you start following Jesus, here's what should happen. Your values should change. You should become a different person. There should be some evidence that we see in you that you are now a follower of Christ and we can see evidently the path that you've changed or the path that you've taken and how it's different. Here's a big mistake. After you make that decision and you suddenly have changed your values, why should you expect anyone who doesn't believe what you believe to have the same values you now have? And this is a big problem for Christians. This is why sometimes Christian people come across as judgmental because they've changed their values and now they can't understand why other people don't act more like them. It doesn't make sense. Why don't you act more like me? Because they don't believe what you believe. That's one step later. The first step is actually getting to know them. The first step is building a relationship. Can, can you imagine a sales team, if the, the, when they went out for sales that day, and the team leader said to them, hey, listen, just before you go out and start you know, speaking to people today, if you could just um, you know, make sure that you tell everyone that you're better than them and, and show them where you're different and, and act superior, and, and if you could do that, we, we wish you the best day build all the relationships that you can. No one would ever say that because you never build relationships by simply pointing out your differences. Oh, this is how we're better. This is what I believe, right? Someone tells you what they believe, just maybe momentarily, just be interested in why they believe it. I know you might believe something different, but just just be interested in how they believe what they believe. It might actually start a conversation. You might find something that we call common ground and that's the place that you build relationship from. And you can find it if you look for it. Last year, I went to a, a church conference over in Alabama, and uh, I got home late, and everything was closed. And so I ordered a pizza to my room, and I'm just sitting there on the bed, just eating a pizza to myself. Travel is not what it's cracked up to be. And so um, I start, I'm starting to think about reaching people that are far from God, and I have this revelation. I realize that I cannot reach anybody from my hotel room. So it's 11 o'clock, it's Friday night, I'm thinking, where do, I, where do I go to find people? I went down into the lobby, and of course, I found where everybody was. They were at the bar, so that's where I went. 
So I go into the bar and I order a drink. And, uh, you know, as I'm sitting there at the bar, the, when I give my order, a guy sitting next to me hears my accent. He says to me, are you from Australia? And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, wow. He said, I'm just watching the Opals on TV, you know? And I'm like, no. He's like, oh, you know, you know field hockey? And I'm like, okay, I know I'm supposed to be interested in what you're interested in, but I don't know if I can fake this. So, uh, because I'm sorry, I'm not interested in um, the Opals. So I, I said, oh, okay. I said, yeah, that's cool. I'm really into it. So anyway, we're sitting there for a, a a, a bit longer. And then I say to him, so uh, what's your name? He says, my name is Andy. I said, great to meet you, Andy. My name's Ben. I said, what are you doing here in this hotel? Why are you here? He says, well, I am a uh, traveling salesperson. I am a professional communicator and I sell life insurance. I said, do you? He said, yes. I said, wow. He said, it's actually a really difficult job, and I travel around training teams of people how to sell life insurance because it's hard and they get a lot of pushback, but I am such a good communicator that this is now my job to teach people how to sell life insurance. I said, wow, that's amazing. He said, really? He said, what do you do? I said, well, this is incredible that I'm talking to you, Andy, because you and I actually have the same job. (laughs) He said, really? Do you sell life insurance? I'm like, sort of. (laughs) Yes, I am a semi-professional communicator that uh, uh, talks about people making sure that they're insured for life after death. He said, okay, so what's your job? I said, I'm a pastor of a church. He said, oh, he was kind of shocked. He kind of liked my answer. (laughs) He said, well, I probably really shouldn't talk to you. I said, oh, come on, Andy, tell me, why wouldn't you want to talk to me? He said, here's the truth about me. I am such a good communicator and I'm so convincing. I'm not lying. He had tickets on himself. I am so convincing that I'm afraid that if I begin to speak to people about their religious beliefs, that because I don't believe, I'm just going to talk them right out of what they believe, and I just couldn't have that on my conscience. I said, really? He said, yes. I said, Andy, you are in luck tonight. He said, why? I said, I am so convinced about what I believe. I promise you this. It would be impossible for you to talk me out of my faith. He said, really? I said, yes. So here is the opportunity that you have somehow afforded yourself tonight. I give you the opportunity to ask me any question that you want, and I'll answer it for you. And you can say all the objections that you want, and you can do it safe in the knowledge that you will not be able to talk me out of what I believe. He said, okay. He saw it as an opportunity. So we start speaking. And we talked for an hour and a half. We talked about evolution. We talked about what the Bible says, about what it really means. We had such a great conversation. The whole time that I am speaking, there is this woman on the other side of the bar trying to give like flirty, sexy eyes to, to my new friend, Andy. Several times, she's, she's going... You know, and he looks at her, sees it, ignores it, and talks back to me. (laughs) Now who's got tickets? Let me tell you something. Why would he want to hang out with some hot chick when he could talk with his new friend Ben about Jesus? You know, and, 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 and here is my point. People actually want to know about this stuff. They just don't know who they can speak to. They need someone that they're able to ask their questions of. 
And when you begin to speak to people, you've got to be honest about what you believe. You need to explain sin, which is why I said it up front, because if you don't get that, then what do people need to be saved from? What's the real problem in the first place? You need to be honest, but you need to be nice. You need to communicate it with grace. In fact, Peter said this in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, uh, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That's your attitude. That's your approach. How do you share Jesus? Just like that. Here's another great idea for you. If you want to start to talk about Jesus and you feel ill-equipped to explain theologically what it all means, why don't you just tell people your story? Just tell people what God's done in your life. Because here's the thing, no one can ever tell you that you're wrong. And since it's your testimony, here's the best part. If you screw up the story, they don't know. You're the only person that knows. You say, oh, I got that part wrong. Just, just keep rolling with it. It's okay. You don't, have, and you don't even have to work hard to do this. You just know your own story. You know what your story is. You just start to share it with people who need to hear it. Let me just give you a little gentle challenge tonight. When was the last time you shared your story with a person that doesn't know Jesus? Apart from you, John O'Hartland. When was the last time you shared your story with a person that doesn't know Jesus? We can become such great communicators, telling our story with each other. Let me tell you my story. How many times are you going to share that story with someone that knows Jesus before you start to share it with a person that doesn't even know him? They're the person that needs to hear it. And if this kind of question makes you feel uncomfortable, we might have uncovered something else about you. Could it be that you so desperately want to be liked by people that you refuse to share the gospel because you're afraid that when you do, they're going to reject you? You know what I think about that? I think, do you know what it really means to follow Jesus? Do you know what Jesus said? There are a couple guarantees in life. And one of them is if you're honest about what you believe and you say that you are a Christian and a follower of Jesus, I guarantee you will get rejected. That's what Jesus said. He said, they rejected me. They're going to reject you. People are going to reject you because of your beliefs, because of your values. <coughs> you just need to make peace with that. Just get comfortable with it. Just realize it's going to happen. Don't be shocked when it does. Realize it's, it's part of actually following Jesus. Look, listen to me. If you really want people to like you, go sell ice creams. Because everyone loves somebody that sells ice creams. Go sell ice creams. But if you want to be a follower of Jesus, be prepared to share your story with others that need to hear it. Just get ready to do it. Like, Just make a decision. This is something that I'm going to do. Do you know the question that I've started to ask? I started to ask, God, why am I here? And not in the broad sense of my life. I just mean wherever I am, that's why I'm there. So I'm in the hospital this week visiting my wife. 
And I know why I think I'm there, but could it be that God has another assignment for me? I'm walking down on my way to visit her saying, God, I know why I think I'm here, but why have you got me here? Why have you got me here? I know what I think I'm doing, but why have you got me here? The next time you catch the train, maybe you should say, God, why am I catching this train? Some of you are going to say, so I can get to work on time. Okay, fine. But why this carriage? Why is that person standing next to you on that particular day? Why has God positioned them next to you? Maybe, could it be that the reason that the person next to you is standing there is because God wants to desperately get a message of love and grace and hope to a person that is in utter turmoil and is thinking about all the horrible things that is in their life. And there you are, full of hope, standing right next to them. What are you going to do with that what will you do with that they want that message people want this message they don't they just don't realize how badly and how desperately they need it let me share a shocking statistic with you tonight 100% of people who don't know Jesus are going to hell 100% that is a statistic that demands our full attention. That is a statistic that we should give all of our energy to. I promise you there is no higher calling than to love and lead lost people to Jesus. I really believe it with all of my heart because I'm sure you go and find a lot of value in the things that you do in life, but nothing is more important than this message that leads the lost back to Him. He gave everything for it. Maybe you're one of those people that maybe you theologically understand it, but you just haven't been great at actually communicating it. You just haven't had the confidence or the boldness to actually share it with anyone. You're very good at knowing what the message is all about. And in truth, you're in church every Sunday, but no one at your work has ever heard your story. No one in your, in your sporting club knows that you're even a follower of Jesus. If it's a secret to them, it shouldn't be. This is something that must change in your life. He gave his son's life for this. I just want to see Jesus get what he paid for. And he paid for it in his own blood. You were ransomed at a price. Don't let his sacrifice be in vain. Do something with the life that God has given to you. He has redeemed you for a reason. Now do something with it. I want you to stand to your feet. I just want to pray for some people. Hey, thanks for listening to the Activate Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you are encouraged today and we would love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to activatechurch.com.